Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man. He'd just come along and scoop 'em up under his arm like that. Quick as a cat in the jungle. But Clark Kent, now there was a real gent. He would not be caught sitting around. Hello and welcome back to Chris and Reggie's no Cosmic Treadmill, episode number sixty-four, part two of our Dumb look at the death of Superman event, funeral nothing. for a friend. This is where we go back to the past and read a comic book from our yesteryear of publishing. Superman you can find us every Sunday morning at ChrisandReggie.podbean.com and pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher Radio, Google Play, and at Mortimer's Funeral Home this Sunday from 3 to 5 p.m. and Monday morning from 8 to 10 a.m. Oh, I know. That was a little tasteless. So, uh, yeah, this is part two of our look at this uh, pretty long to the past. Uh, Sure. What did it go on for like almost a, a flat year, I guess, right? Really, uh, it went on for a good a good six months, yeah. Yeah, it went on for quite a while through through many comics. And uh, last time in the part one, we gave kind of expanded creator bios for the applicable people, and uh, they're basically the same people this time. We're just going to give you much more condensed versions for this episode. So if you want to hear the full one, go back to episode sixty three. Uh, we go a little longer. So uh, we can start with uh, the guy at the top of all of it, Mike Carlin, the editor. Born October 6, 1958, somewhere, presumably in the United States. Attended the High School of Art and Design in New York City. Worked at Marvel Comics as a writer and artist for their humor title, Crazy Magazine, in 1974. And then was hired by DC on his birthday, October 6, 1986, and eventually became group editor of the Superman line. In the fall of 1992, he would oversee the very story we're about to discuss. And we're also going to go through the comics that, that this will primarily touch upon. Uh, we got Superman the Man of Steel was the fourth ongoing Superman title. Uh, it was launched with a cover date of July 1991. This is generally the lead-off issue of the month that would come out in the first week, usually. Uh, the series would run for 134 issues, not including an issue zero and an issue one million, wrapping up with its March 2003 issue. Yes, and that was written by Louise Simonson, born Mary Louise Alexander on September 26, 1946, in Atlanta, Georgia. Her professional comics career would begin in 1974 at Warren Publishing, where she worked as an editor, and later became senior editor for titles such as Eerie, Creepy, and Vampirella. In 1979, she'd move over to Marvel Comics and become editor for Uncanny X-Men, uh, and then in 1983 started editing the spin-off New Mutants as well. Uh, that very same year, she would try her hand at writing. She created Power Pack, a team of tiny heroes. Uh-huh. <laughs> They're very young folks here, prepubescent. Uh, that book launched in August 1984 and would run for 62 issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, Louise would take over writing duties from Chris Claremont on the title that she once edited. That would be New Mutants. That was with issue numbers 55, September 1987 cover date. In 1992, Louise walked from Marvel alongside, uh, you know, after after Bob Harris sided with the uh, artists for uh, just about all things creative. Pretty much, yeah. Uh, <laughs> she and uh, Chris Claremont would uh, would skidoo. Uh, her first DC Comics work would be Superman: The Man of Steel number one, which a year and a half into its run would take part in the story we're just about to discuss. That's right. And on our duties, we have John Bogdanov, born May seventh, nineteen fifty-eight, in Albany, New York. Attended the School of Visual Arts. 
First comics work was Alpha Flight number 32, March 1986 for Marvel Comics. Became a regular artist for Louise Simonson, written Power Pack with issue number 22, May 1986 cover, and would stick around for four years. And he started at DC Comics with Superman, The Man of Steel, number one in 1991. Indeed. Uh, another book that this uh, storyline runs through is Superman. Without an adjective. Uh, this is the third ongoing Superman title. Uh, it was uh, launched directly out of John Byrne's post crisis revamp of the character, The Man of Steel, and that ran October through December 1986. That was that weekly series. Uh, now, uh, this book generally would come out the second week of the month. Um, and now, completely getting ahead of ourselves, this volume would run until issue number 226, which was an Infinite Crisis crossover issue. Uh, writing that one was Dan Jurgens, born tw- June 27, 1959, in Ortonville, Minnesota. Graduated from Minneapolis College of Art and Design in 1981. His first professional comic work was for DC Comics, penciling The Warlord, number 63, November 1982, cover date. In 1985, Jurgens created the character Booster Gold, first appearing in Booster Gold, number 1, February 1986 cover. His first work on Superman was as penciler for the Adventures of Superman Annual Number no. 1 in 1987. And then in 1989, Jurgens began working full-time on the Superman character when he took over the writing penciling of the monthly The Adventures of Superman. Jurgens helped writer Louise Simonson and artist John Bogdanov launch a new Superman title, Superman, The Man of Steel, in July 1991, and he assumed the writing penciling of the main Superman comic book, which is the one we're talking about, issue number 57, July 1991. Kind of hard to follow all these, uh, (laughs) you know, but, uh, yeah, you got to kind of look at it sideways. Certainly. And before we go to the next one here, uh, that uh, Booster Gold number one, we just re-uploaded that to the archives. That was the first issue, the first episode of uh, Uh, Three Voices, that's right. (laughs) Yes, it was. Uh, Now, getting back into the uh, Death of Superman here, another book it went through was Adventures of Superman. This would be the second ongoing Superman title. Adventures of Superman started its life as just Superman. This is Superman wow. uh, Volume 1, of course, uh, way back in uh, June of 1939 cover. Uh, we mentioned this book third because it was generally third each month. Uh, Adventures of Superman would run until issue 649. That was April 2006 and an Infinite Crisis crossover before retaking its original name of Superman uh, with issue 650. You know, anybody collecting the thing is going to be like pulling the hair out now. You know, come on, you know, put, hold it together, yeah. would you? <laughs> It, when you look for uh, when you're looking through the bins for back issues, it gets a little confusing sometimes. Yeah. Uh, now, on that title, we have Jerry Ordway. He was born November 28, 1957. He attended the Milwaukee Technical High School, where he took a three-year course in commercial art. His first drawing gig was All-Star Squadron, beginning with the insert preview uh, in Justice League of America issue number 193. That was August 1981 cover. He co-created with Roy Thomas Infinity Incorporated. That was in All-Star Squadron number 25, cover dated September 1983. Ordway inked Superman artist Wayne Boring's pencils for a retelling of the definitive Golden Age Superman origin story written by Roy Thomas that happened in Secret Origins, number one, April 1986 cover, and he considers that one a particular favorite. Uh, he drew Adventures of Superman, written by Marv Wolfman. Uh, this is part of that, you know, that post Seal burn revamp. And that would happen, of course, after Christ and Infinite Earths. Uh, he would eventually finish this book out as writer and artist. He jumped from Adventures of Superman onto Superman Volume 2, and he wrote and penciled from issue number 34, uh, that was 
August 1989 through issue 55, May 1991. He came back to do covers and co-writing, and he was part of the story we're going to discuss. Look at that. Uh, then you have Tom Grummet. He was born in 1959 in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. He began at DC Comics doing finishes for George Perez on New Titans with uh, issue number 58 of September 1989 cover. His first work on Superman was in Action Comics number 665. That's May 1991 cover. He joined Adventures of Superman with issue number 480, July 1991, and stuck around for the story we're about to discuss today. And I will also run through another comic that is the granddaddy of them all, they say, Action Comics. This was the very first Superman title, launching way back in June 1938. This book was the anchor of the Superman line, shipping at the end of the month, or sometimes the very beginning of the next month. There are five-week months, and if you don't have an event, things can get weird. Uh, Action Comics would initially run until issue 904, October 2011, when its legacy was vamooshed for the new 52. (laughs) Uh, Then that volume two of Action Comics ran for 52 issues from November 2011 to July 2016, and now they've gone back to the numbering of Action Comics volume one. And that's all we'll say about that. <laughs> yes. <No. laughs> Writing action comics, we are Roger Stern. He was born uh, September 17th, 1950 in Noblesville, Indiana. Uh, by the mid-70s, he worked with Charlton Comics to produce the sanctioned fanzine Charlton Bullseye, and that featured exclusive art and unpublished stories from Charlton Comics. He became the writer for The Spectacular Spider-Man with issue number 43. This is June 1980, cover date. He would co-create uh, West Coast Avengers along with Bob Hall. Uh, in 1987, he got into an argument with editor Mark Grunewald and was fired from the Avengers. Uh, led to him freelancing for DC on Action Comics, where he created someone we're going to discuss uh, a little bit more in the coming weeks, uh, yep. The Eradicator. <laughs> he would also write the novelization of The Death and Life of Superman in 1993, and that would go on to make the New York Times bestseller list. Even. Whoa, all those lists. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, and then on the art side, I, I think I mangled this guy's uh, last name last week. Guice? Guice? I say Geis. Geis? I, okay, we'll, we'll accept that. I, many apologies. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. But Jackson Geis, uh, originally Jackson Butch Geis, born June 27, 1961 in Chattanooga, Tennessee. His first professional credited work was in the independent title, The Crusaders Number 1, in November 1982, cover date. Throughout the 80s, he did lots of Marvel work, including penciling X-Factor and the New Mutants. Over at DC, he was the initial artist for Flash, Volume 2. This is the post-crisis Wally West one. Uh, He hung around for the first 11 issues of that. And after another short stint at Marvel, he came back to DC Comics with Action Comics number 676, April 1982 cover date. And he would still be there when we were in this event we're going to talk about. Indeed. Now we went through those four Superman titles, but we're going to start <laughs> with, with, with the one we didn't mention. <laughs> yes, this is Justice League America, number 70. This is January 1993 cover date. Story title is Grieving, written and drawn by Dan Jurgens. Released November 17th, 1992, the very same day as Superman 75. Wow. Yeah, and it came out for $1.25. Uh, the cover features the Justice League mourning Superman's death. Ice is knelt in front, clutching his cape, which means she probably pried it out of Lois Lane's hands. Yeah, uh, I would like to see that Jerry Springer fight going yes. on. You, know. you <laughs> witch! Yeah. 
Now, uh, there's a red overlay that takes up the left half of the cover. It's like a, uh, almost like a construction paper that's uh, folded right. over the back of it. Mm. Now, uh, we do pick up immediately after the events of Superman 75. This is where Ice and Bloodwind just arrived just a moment too late. Uh, Ice is not taking things well. Uh, it's been as long established as she ha- did have a bit of a crush on Superman. Yeah. Uh, now, Superman's cape is flying in that uh, iconic fl- uh, tattered flag scene there, and... Uh, she removes it from the uh, from the you know stake and drapes it over Superman's body. Oh yeah, a lot of a lot of good scenes right there. But they will sure. we'll make a lot more light of uh, Ice's crush as we go into more of this <laughs> funeral. Uh, at a hospital, Booster Gold and Maxima watch the news and find out just what went down. Booster feels horrible. Maxima, not so much. She figures it was a noble way for Superman to kick the bucket, but it's all a front. She really did want to bang him. Uh, well. Mate with him, you know. Yes, more. he was the he was the perfect mate. Yes. Perfect mate. That's right. She'd been chasing around. Uh, Guy Gardner saunters up, and he's taking the news a bit better than everyone else. <laughs> and he goes, "Did you hear the big news? I wouldn't have figured anything could take out all blue." And he turns over to Maxima. I guess it'll take some time, Maxie. But if you start shopping for a new Super Bow, keep me in. Well, he gets blasted for that one. Yeah. Booster gets between them before things go nuclear. It's worth mentioning here. Guy has a Band-Aid on his ball cut. Yeah, it's really weird. Like, did it get hurt? <laughs> <laughs> did Doomsday injure his yeah, ball he, cut? He got, a bad, he got a bad cut at the barber. He thought he could uh, heal it. I don't know. It is weird. <laughs> now, later on, a Booster visits with Blue Beetle, just as the doctor is sharing a bit of troubling news with Maxwell Lord and Oberon. Turns out that Ted's comatose and really quite dinged up. The doctor can make no promises that he'll ever recover. So it looks like Beatles off the table. That's right. More than one hero has been felled. And it also mm-hmm. turns out, so is Booster. Doomsday shredded his costume, which was where he got all his powers. So there's two down. So uh, three, if we count Superman, which really we should sure. be, I, honestly. It's a, it is kind of about him. A little bit, yeah. <laughs> uh, now, el- elsewhere in the hospital, Fire visits with Ice, and they cry. They console each other. Uh, the Flash runs in for a visit. Along the way, he notices that every flag is currently at half-mast. Aquaman arrives shortly after, and they talk about how nobody showed up to help Superman. Yeah, I mean, we weren't going to bring this up, but since he, <laughs> since you brought it up, Arthur, where was everybody? You know what I mean? Like, no one really came in to, to do this, and it wasn't like it wasn't being carried on the news, or Doomsday, no, right. <laughs> Doomsday wasn't carving up the country, you know? This wasn't like a quiet <laughs> event, so, you know, what happened there, folks? But anyway... Uh, right after that, Batman and Robin arrive, and the former suggests they use Superman's death as a force for good. The body isn't even cold yet, Batman. Yeah. Come on. He's already he's already you know parceled it in his mind into just some sort of a thing <laughs> yeah. he can use in his ongoing crusade or whatever. Uh, soon enough, it's a cavalcade of heroes convening at the hosp- at the hospital, including Hal Jordan, Hawkman, Starfire, Nightwing, Jay Garrick, Alan Scott, Power Girl, Elongated Man, Wonder Woman. Green Arrow, Black Canary, and Etrigan the Demon. Which we gotta ask again. Where were these people a few hours ago? You made this, right? Well, like, well, right? You know, I mean, you have to, I assume they were watching, all watching TV, eating chips, and they were like, Superman's got it. You know what yep. I mean? Like, he'll, he's fine. He'll be fine. But anyway. He always pulls out. Yeah. Uh, now, uh, Oberon greets the, the arriving heroes, and he hands out some uh, very collectible black armbands. Hey. And they all, they all put them on. Uh, Ice creates a giant Superman-shaped ice sculpture outside the hospital. And from atop the hospital, Guy Gardner uses his ring to snag an armband for himself. 
he wanted to, you know, mourn his own way. Exactly. Uh, and maybe keep one, you know, uh, in plastic. To sell on, yeah, the, exactly. <laughs> to sell on eBay in five, ten years. Uh, now, the issue ends with Booster watching over Ted and hoping that he won't be wearing an armband with a beetle on it anytime soon. Yeah, you're about 12 years off from that, don't you worry. You still yeah. have adventures <laughs> together. Uh, now we go into Funeral for a Friend proper. That was sort of a prologue, right? Uh, this sure. is this is number one. Funeral for a Friend was in Adventures of Superman, number 498, January 1993. Uh, Death of a Legend by Jerry Ordway and Tom Grummet. Triangle numbering is the third issue of 1993. And the cover is the instantly iconic Jimmy Olsen photograph of Superman's body. There are copies of the Daily Planet littering the ground with Doomsday Massacre as the headline. It was released November 24, 1992 for $8.25. We open in the immediate wake of Superman's death in Superman number 75. Lois is on her knees holding Superman's body, and just like in the last issue, Doomsday's body is face down in the rubble. We're really just, just seeing that scene again, but this time drawn by Jerry Ordway. Uh, from a little bit, yeah, Grummet, of a yeah. different angle. Oh, uh, Grummet, I'm sorry. Uh, Metropolis Special Crimes Unit personnel attentively surrounds the fallen beast, and one even pokes it with his gun to make sure he's really dead, which is what I would do. Sounds so, smart. yeah. Uh, <laughs> Double X from Cadmus, and this is where I really start to get happy, folks. Let me tell you, uh, he's also <laughs> present. He makes an attempt to read Doomsday's mind. That's sort of his thing. Double X. He's telekinetic or telepathic, whatever, whatever works. He's uh, all of those. Yeah. He's tele everything. <laughs> Basically, uh, instead of finding rage and bloodlust, he finds nothing. Doomsday's dead for now. Uh, and our horn headed friend Double X also then turns his ten- attention towards Superman, and similarly, no dice, Superman really does seem dead for now. Mm-hmm. Now, Lois isn't willing to accept that such a thing could ever happen to Superman. Cat Grant and Jimmy Olsen, who have also been loitering around alongside the rest of Metropolis, run up to comfort, to comfort her. Uh, Maggie Sawyer and the Guardian head up to the body next, and the latter attempts to give the Man of Steel some mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, which, as you might imagine, is quite the daunting task. Mm-hmm. Uh, according, to, according to the Guardian, it's like breathing into a steel tank. Um, Sawyer calls in the EMTs, and they fire up the defibrillator. Terrible Dan Turpin watches from the sidelines and compares the loss of Superman to losing a fellow officer in the line of duty. As he stumbles through the wreckage, he comes across Supergirl's matrixy, putty, protoplasmic-y body. Yeah. Uh, Lex Luthor, <laughs> Lex Luthor the second hops right into the panel and uh, takes her away. Yeah, uh, she looks like the ultimate gross burn victim right here. So. Uh, yes. This is what happens when you she gets caught up in the Doomsday Blast. Uh, back at Superman's body, the EMTs are shocking the stuffing out of the Man of Steel. However, they have to pause uh, lest they melt their tools. The Guardian doesn't, he doesn't like any quitters in this thing, and he pretty much tells them, if your tools melt, they melt, and therefore become useless to everyone, apparently. Uh, (laughs) Cat and Jimmy manage to pull Lois away, but she's still clutching the tattered Superman cape. Uh, She insists they make a call to Dr. Sanchez at Star Labs, and so they do. Then, it happens. Clark suggests that Jimmy call. I'm mean, a cat. Suggests that Jimmy call Clark to come get Lois. It's at this moment that it seems to set in for Lois. If Superman's dead, then Clark is dead too. She then wonders if the Kents watch their son die on television. Now a WGBS news van pulls up with all the necessary equipment for Cat Grant to perform a live broadcast, which naturally cuts into 
regularly scheduled program. Sure. We would shift scenes here to Kat's apartment where the her you know the on again off again gangbuster Jose Delgado and Kat's son Adam are watching television. The newscast begins, prompting snot nosed Adam Grant to switch channels to a dime store Ren and Stimpy style cartoon. Yeah. Called Ratatouille. Uh, it's probably worth mentioning that Adam thinks Superman is pretty lame. Uh, Jose flips out, snatches the remote from the kid, and starts yelling at him. Adam runs away crying. Uh, he actually says, You big jerk! <laughs> Jose then goes into his closet to pull out his gangbuster gear. Yeah, he seems to do that quite a lot, just like to take a That's look at thing, it. Yeah, yeah he's like, Remember when I used to do this? Uh, on the television, Cat throws it back to the studio where the douchey anchorman suggests. I guess that Superman wasn't so super after all. It's pretty ice cold. Yeah, very creative, too. I, I can't imagine where he came up with that one. Uh, Jose responds the only way he knows how, by hurling his gangbuster helmet through the television screen. So Kat's not going to like that her TV is busted, but I'm sure she yeah. can get another one. Uh, over in Smallville, Ma and Pa are still watching the news. Pa thinks the whole thing is silly. After all, their boys come back from far worse. Ma wonders if this time might be different. The super parents hug and pray for their son's safety. At LexCorp, Lex and Matrix both express regret for the loss of Superman, though for different reasons. Lex wanted to save him just so he'd owe him one later on, where Matrix is more genuine about it because she's not a horrible, uh, well, she's not a human being, but she's not a horrible person. <laughs> Matrix performs a transformation back to a Supergirl in a look, and it proves to be rather painful for her. It also results in Supergirl's face being covered in bruises, which I thought was a nice touch, you know. She couldn't quite come back sure. to uh, 100%. Now, back at the bodies, the head of Cadmus arrives. This is uh, Westfield, I believe his name is. Uh, uh, he claims that they have authorization to claim the bodies of both Doomsday and Superman. Turpin doesn't care one way or another if they hold off Doomsday's corpse, but will absolutely not allow them to take Superman. And so the head of Cadmus makes some pretty homophobic remarks directed at Maggie Sawyer, which is you know, pretty mature. It's kind yeah. of what you do when you're an executive in the government. I guess. Uh, <laughs> now he winds up taking a big old left to the gut, ter- ter- uh, cur- courtesy of the terrible one. At this point, Double X has returned with friends. This is Professor Emil Hamilton and our main man, Bibbo. Yeah. Now they've brought with them the most badass of shock paddles this side of the Mississippi. Bibbo insists on being the guy to press them paddles onto the chest of steel. Yeah, he says, I'm going to do it. Hand me them paddles. I owe it to Superman on account of he was my favorite. Now, it's funny, but it's also pretty sad because he continues. No one's going to miss a pug like me if things go bad. I think we'd miss him. Yeah, oh, Bibbo, you big lug. <laughs> and so using one of the weapons expert geeks who cluttered up the sky during the fight with Doomsday and as an energy generator, Hamilton prepares to shock the hell out of Superman. Bibbo pressed the paddles and the entire sky goes white with energy and a half page worth of voom But, like so much sound and thunder, sound and thunder, this shock signified nothing. Believe me, that was supposed to be a great line. Uh, It was. (laughs) The chapter wraps up back at the Daily Planet, where Jimmy is absolutely going off on all the sensationalism surrounding the story. Hmm, maybe this is a a meta-commentary on the actual comics market of the day, huh? Mm, Nah. They wouldn't do that. He says, I mean... The way everyone's crawling all over everyone else to be the first to officially pronounce Superman dead. You'd think they were happy he died to save them all from a slow news day. Even Cat Grant's doing it. It makes me want to puke. 
Uh, Jim, uh, we, we really don't want to be that guy, but uh, you were there too, camera in hand when the body hit the floor. Yeah. Uh, ju- just saying, pal. Sort of your picture is the uh, currently iconic <laughs> and boots. Another one will be. Anyway, we'll get to that when we get to that. Uh, also in the office, Lois wraps up her story on the death of Superman and hands it in. Perry assures her, that, uh, assures her should the worst be confirmed about Clark, the Daily Planet will do whatever they can to keep both his and Superman's memories alive. Mm-hmm. The following week, we have Action Comics issue 685, cover date of January 1993, Funeral for a Friend Part 2, Recolon Actions, by Roger Stern and Jackson Geis. This is triangle number four for 1993. The cover is an homage to Action Comics number one, except with Supergirl hoisting the car, the car over her head. The logo actually reads Supergirl in Action Comics. Now, this was released December 4th. First, 1992, for a buck and a quarter. And I don't, I don't want to break into this too much, but at, sure. at the time, I I know I did, and, I, and others thought this was going to be how Action Comics was from now on. It was going to be Supergirl. Yeah. Book. Uh, yep. Anyway, we'll, we'll 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 talk much more about that as we go through it. But, <laughs> yes, but I, remember, I remember getting kind of excited about it and being like, "Wow, this what this is kind of a big change. This will be cool." But anyway, we'll we'll see what it happens. felt permanent. Yeah. It did. It felt all yeah. this really did feel like it could be permanent. Certainly. Now, we open with a clipping from the Daily Planet. The headline is, Superman Dead, Metropolis Marvel Killed in Action by Lois Lane, next to a photo taken by James Olsen. Mm. Now, uh, Superman's body is taken to the city morgue, accompanied by Dan Turpin, Maggie Sawyer, and The Guardian. They are shocked and rather displeased to be met by the head of Cadmus, Mr. Westfield, again. Oh, and a good half dozen Cadmus gods? They make those? You never see him otherwise, but here they are. <laughs> now, uh, they hold th- these uh, guards hold them all at gunpoint. Whoa! This has suddenly become mm. a shadowy organization. Uh, Westfield informs <laughs> them that he's out of their jurisdiction. They're just local law enforcement, and he only answers to the feds. He's apparently authorized by Section 12 of the Executive Emergency Act to collect the bodies of any alien descendants. Now, in the real world, Section 12 has something to do with the regulation of transactions in foreign gold or silver. Yeah, but dead alien sounds a lot cooler than that, so... Uh, it we'll, does, yeah. That's how it is here. And Guardian tells them to lower their weapons, which is, <laughs> puts them in kind of a sticky wicket. He's the head of Cadmus Security. However, he's really not acting uh, as security for Cadmus. He's sort of acting against their best interests. We can see that all the television equipment in the area has been destroyed by the Cadmus goons, news of which gets back to Lex Luthor. The Luther number two. Remember, this is not the mm-hmm. original. This is we're pretending it's his son, but wink, you know, wink. You know, not really. <laughs> uh, he's not pleased and informs Supergirl that this time they call out the dogs. The dogs in question are members of Team Luther who all descend on the city morgue, and a firefight is on until Supergirl, until Supergirl arrives and tells him to cut it out. And uh, she also nails a lot of them with her psychokinetic blast, which takes takes a lot of the fight out of them, I think. It sure does. Uh, now, Luther arrives on the scene and tells Westfield and company to hit the bricks. Once the Cadmus geeks are gone, Lex delivers a rousing statement regarding the passing of Metropolis's hero. Remember, we're supposed to think he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, is, uh, this isn't the kind of guy who would ever steal 40 cakes. That's as many as four tens. That's terrible. That awful. Now, it's also announced here that uh, Superman will be laid to rest in Centennial Park, where a monument to the hero will be erected, on LexCorp's dime, no less. 
back at the Daily Planet, Perry believes Luther's gracious, uh, gracious to some being opportunistic. He's uh, He thinks Luther has an ulterior motive, go mm. figure. Uh, Jimmy notices that Lois still ain't talking to nobody, but she still does have a death grip on that <laughs> torn cape. Uh, staffer Allie asks Lois if she's heard anything about Clark, which causes Lois to almost blurt out the secret. Uh, she does manage to collect herself in time and, and heads home. Back in Smallville, the cancer mourning of the loss of their son. Their phone rings, and on the other end is Lana Lang. She and Pete had been on the road and had just now heard the news. Were they in the road in Alaska? I mean, this is like a major... <laughs> did the, was the right. radio on? Anything? I mean, do you have to stop for gas anywhere? Yeah, I, I can't believe you didn't hear about this. But uh, anyway, uh, a montage follows featuring an international assortment of folks Superman has helped over the years, at least the years since the crisis of the Infinite Earths Man of Steel uh, from 1987. Uh, back in Metropolis, Lex Luthor is introduced to Doomsday's body. He's overcome with emotion, been beat the hell out of the corpse with a wooden chair. Uh, not out of any righteousness, of course. It seems like he's doing it out of anger at Doomsday because, he, you know, he killed Superman, but he's mad that Doomsday killed Superman before Lex could, you know. So mm. it makes for good PR. It looks like he's, he's <laughs> genuinely <laughs> grieving, but he's actually uh, just mad he didn't get to do the job himself. We rejoin Lois as she heads to Clark's apartment, and she just sits there crying for a while. There's another montage. This time we get to see how Superman's rogues gallery is taking the news of his passing. Next we learn that despite the tragedy, Prime refuses to sleep. A jewelry store is robbed by a group of geeks whose escape is blocked by Supergirl, who is kind of in a weird pose right here with some yeah. pretty odd hand placement, you know? Right? Yeah. I don't know if that looks quite kosher, but she mm -hmm. does beat the holy hell out of them, so that's all that matters. Indeed. Now the issue wraps up with Bibbo closing up his ace of clubs for the evening. He doesn't really feel much like drinking. After booting all the patrons out, he drops to his knees to pray. God, I gotta ask you, why? Why would Superman die when a washed up old roughneck like me goes on living? It ain't right, God. It just ain't right. It ain't. Now, uh, <laughs> the next week we go to Superman, The Man of Steel, issue number 20. This is February 1993, cover date, Funeral for a Friend, Part 3, Funeral Day, by Louise Simonson and John Bogdanov. It has a triangle number of 5 for 1993. Cover features the heroes of the DC Universe solemnly standing on the site, at the site of Superman's death. This was released December 15th, 1992, for a buck and a quarter. Now, Metropolis begins its great rebuild. You know, the city was left in a pretty bad way after the fight. Oh, yeah. We uh, join Lex Luthor as he's wheeling and dealing details on the Superman monument and burial site in Centennial Park, surrounded by Supergirl and a bunch of yes-men. And he also appears to be, at that time, getting a haircut from an extraño of the New Guardians. You know, something <laughs> right? Very, something very spicy for you, senor, you know? <laughs> It's <laughs> true. Now he's pleased that even though he was robbed of the opportunity to kill Superman, he's sure as hell not going to miss the chance to bury him, which sounds pretty reasonable oh, to fair us. Fair enough. <laughs> now, in Smallville, the Kents lament the fact that, according to the rest of the world, they've got no claim to Superman. Even if they do go to Metropolis, there's no chance they'll ever get close enough to the body to get any sort of closure. Nope, that's what a secret identity does, folks. Mm -hmm. At the Daily Planet, there's high fives abound because Jimmy Olsen took the picture that'll send his career to the next level. Perry notices Lois huddled by the phone, waiting for it to his mind any word on Clark. As head of the paper, he has a spot in the funeral procession. He offers Lois the opportunity to go in his stead, but she declines. 
the other planet staffers are completely supportive and understanding about this. Yeah, we got a guy, uh, his name, we find out his name is Dan. He goes, uh, what's Lane's problem? And some lady says, it's not just Superman she's upset about, Dan. She's engaged to Clark Kent, and he's still missing. She seems to be taking it pretty hard. Yeah, but she didn't have to act like he was the last man in the universe. Wow. I mean, this, that's really pretty cold. I don't know which one right? of them is worse. Both of them. She's, <laughs> she's taking know. it pretty hard. Ah, no kidding. God, the man she loves might be dead. Oh, why? Well, she got to move on. Anyway, uh, <laughs> so Lois leaves, and next we see her. She's standing on the Daily Planet globe, and it's raining. How did she even get up there, and why? I have no idea. <laughs> She's on the globe. She's standing on it. I, maybe, maybe, the, maybe we don't know. There's like a, a ladder on the inside of the globe. Maybe. I, but uh, she's only up there for a single panel, which makes it hardly worth the climb. Uh, next we see her. She's knelt at the spot where Superman died. There's been a plaque affixed to the ground to commemorate the site. It reads, In Memoriam, Superman killed on this spot while defending the city. Jimmy finds her, and it's time for the funeral procession, and he saved them a spot up front. A two-page spread follows. Superman's flag-draped casket is being led through the streets of Metropolis by a horse-drawn carriage. The funeral marchers include Booster Gold, Ice, Bloodwind, Guardian, Hal Jordan, Wonder Woman, Wildcat, Power Girl, Green Arrow, Fire, Black Canary, Aquaman, Wally West, Jay Garrick, Guy Gardner, Alan Scott, Captain Marvel, Nightwing, Geoforce, Maxima, Obsidian, Dr. Midnight, Kilowog, Dr. Fate, Starfire, Dr. Light, Oberon, Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, Orion, Light Ray, Wildebeest, Phantasm, Metamorpho, Double X, The Metal Men, and some others we couldn't make. Yeah, it kind of trails off into a blur. <laughs> some of the faces in the crowd look a bit too specific not to be certain members of the creative teams, right? I would I definitely There's... think. Or people that exist. In the <laughs> that world. they know, yeah, yeah. For sure. Now, there's also Keith and his mother, uh, and other, another family Superman helped out. And to remind us just what year it is, one fella has the Superman S shaved <laughs> into the side of his head. That's the most awesome thing. Yeah, he should have been doing breakdancing, too, or something. But anyway, uh, we shift scenes to, well, to somewhere else, where the main man himself just received word of Superman's passing. Yes, we're talking about Lobo, and he goes, Cramden, what do you mean Superman's dead? I didn't get a piece of him. And Cramden says, Nope. Lobo puts his fist through one poor dude before approaching Cramden, who's drinking with a fella we're going to assume is named Nerton. <laughs> he goes, so it ain't so. And Nerton says, it ain't so, 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 it ain't so. And Cramden says, hamina, hamina, hamina. Now back at the procession, Batman, who is conspicuously missing from the march, catches a dude who had designs on uh, bombing the event. With a bomb, even. Whoa. Uh, Batman snares him with a bat line from the roof of a nearby building. Yeah, the guy says, Batman. Batman goes, explain the bomb in your coat pocket. B bomb? What bomb? I don't... I'm a patriot. I'm fighting oppression. I... Innocent people would be hurt in a bombing. None are innocent who harbor the monster who... No, don't drop me. I'll turn myself in. Anything. Just don't drop me. Don't tempt me. Metropolis is Superman's town, and for today, I'll play it his way. Any other day, he would have murdered the guy, obviously. Sure, in cold blood. Yeah. Uh, now, Batman literally leaves, leaves the would-be bomber hanging with a sign around his neck that reads, Please arrest me. Help! 
Arrest me. Hurry, please. Batman might be back. And the procession continues over a sewer grate. Underneath live the Underworlders. I thought Doomsday sporked them all last week. Not all of them, apparently, Chris. Sorry. Well, better luck next time. <laughs> Outside the Ace of Clubs, Bibbo and his pals watch the funeral march. When they're approached by a sleazy-looking fellow who's trying to profit off a Superman death by selling collectible tchotchkes. Ladies and gentlemen, your friendly neighborhood comic shop guy. Basically. <laughs> uh, Bibbo doesn't take kindly to this affront and lifts the dude off the ground by his collar. The, the, the sleazy guy goes, get your bag, Daily Planet death issue with commemorative armband. Bibbo says, hey, you, what do you mean trying to cash in on Superman's death? Ain't you got no respect? I was going to include a line here with the sleaze going something about Rob Leefield, but uh, I left that. <laughs> uh, now the salesman reveals that Superman—he's this is not being done out of any kind of a, uh, any kind of negative way here. He uh, he was actually saved once by Superman, um, but now he and his family have fallen on some hard times. Bibbo sympathizes with the poor fool and buys all of his wares. Not only that, he gives him a job at the Ace of Clubs. Wow. <laughs> yeah, talk, talk about calling a fellow's bluff, right? Yeah, uh, a little copyright infringement goes a long way. Nice. <laughs> yes. Now, the procession finally arrives at Centennial Park. Some goons approach Jimmy Olsen, attempting to buy the rights to that awesome photo he took. That's right. One of the goons says, Hey, kid, Olsen, I got a proposition you can't refuse. You sign over the international licensing rights to that death photo of Superman, and I'll give you, say, 5% of my net. That photo will be everywhere, on mugs and buttons and lunchboxes. I'm going to make you rich. Jimmy turns the offer down flat. Not only that, he backhands the guy for good measure. Yeah, that's kind of overreacting, you know? A little I mean, bit. It was just a question. You could just say no. Uh, the goons draw their pistols, though, but luckily Robin arrives just in time to KO them before they can pull the triggers. A riot breaks out, leading to Wonder Woman and Green Lantern having to do some crowd control. In Smallville, the Kents watch as their son's funeral devolves into a circus sideshow and cry. Once the crowd is quelled, we get a speech from President Bill Clinton, which is probably his first appearance in the role as president. At this point, when the comic came out, he hadn't, he hadn't become president. This uh, comic was released on December 15, 1992. And his inauguration would, of course, be January 20th of 93. So, uh, who knows what, you know, something that happened in between that time would have been interesting. But anyway. It would have been. Now, Lois is so stirred by this speech that uh, she leaves. Whoa. Um, yeah. <laughs> and she goes to finally make that phone call to the Kents. I, I actually picture her calling an operator sitting yeah. next to, like, a, a bay of switchboards and yeah. needing to actually plug the call in. For sure. She's like, she's like give me the Kents in Smallville. How please, you know. <laughs> One ringy. Dingy. Yeah, it's like yeah. The, the, their number is five, you know, in yes. Smallville. Uh, anyway, it's a moot point. Anyway, whatever we think happens at the switchboard, because the Kents are currently out uh, having their own ceremony, a private ceremony. Pod digs a grave in the field where they found Clark's birthing matrix at those all those years before, where they bury some of their son's prized belongings. Now, back in Metropolis, Superman's casket is lowered into a stone crypt, uh, a scene that Lois actually misses because she's still trying to get a hold of her would-be in-laws. Winds up, they finally return home and answer the phone, and they tell her not to worry. They'll be in Metropolis soon. That's right. It's kind of, it is kind of a sweet scene, too. They grab yes. the phone. They're very, very supportive of Lois. Now, Superman Volume 2, number 76, this is February 1993. Funeral for a Friend Part 4, Metropolis Mailbag 2 by Dan Jurgens. 
Triangle number was number six of 1993. Cover features the DC hero standing atop the Daily Planet building, with Batman front and center ceremoniously dropping Superman's tattered cape. This was released December 22nd, 1992, for $1.25. It is a rainy Christmas Eve in Metropolis, and DC Comics' heaviest hitters organize atop the Daily Planet building, just like on the cover. They're here to fill in for Superman's Christmas Eve tradition, where he reads the fan mail and tries to grant some wishes. After getting down to business, however, they share some brief reminiscences of their fallen friend. Of interest, relatively new Robin Tim Drake feels funny making his feelings known. Yeah, he thinks to himself, I like them too, but I'm afraid if I say anything in front of these guys, I'll sound like an idiot. Now we jump across town where we meet, well, would you look at that, it's our old friend Mitch. He feels somewhat responsible for Superman's death, considering he had to go off task to save him and his family. He's come to Metropolis on this rainy night to apologize to Mrs. Superman? Hmm. Well, it didn't take long for the death of Superman to turn into some tabloid freak show, and so it's no surprise to meet a woman who claims to have been married to the Man of Steel. And she's holding a press conference to that effect, even. Uh, This is a press conference being covered by Daily Planet staffers Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen. Awkward. A little awkward, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Now, (laughs) Lois can only take so much of the nonsense and eventually stomps away. As Lois leaves, she passes by our man Mitch. Jimmy notices the strange kid and asks if there's anything he could do for him. Uh, Mitch spills the beans about wanting to apologize to Mrs. Superman, and Jimmy fills him in on the fact that the lady's probably a fraud. Uh, Mitch is disappointed, but figures it might be just as well for him if he could talk to anyone who was close to Superman. Perhaps Superman's pal will fill the bill. Hey, or is crypto hey. still around? He could talk to the guy <laughs> anyway. Get the bill. <laughs> now, uh... Jimmy offers to take him for a bite over at Hobbs Bay Grill, where he's uh, where he's eventually heading to meet up with another one of Superman's buddies, Bibbo. That's right. But first, we, we rejoin Lois as she heads back to Clark's apartment. The panel placement as she enters is cramped and claustrophobic. It's almost like the reader can feel her dread, discomfort, and trepidation. It's really well done. It is, uh, yeah. This feels like the first time Lois has to actually face moving on without Clark. Really, it's her first step in the next stage of life, and she does seem very, like, lost with it, you know? Yeah. She enters the apartment and cries. Her internal monologue is interrupted by a friendly voice. Ma and Pa Kent have arrived in Metropolis, and I guess they had the key. Uh, The trio (laughs) embrace, but are soon interrupted by Lana Lang. So our Superman support group now has four members. Hmm. Back at the Daily Planet, the heroes are rooting through the mailroom looking for just the right Superman address missives to follow up on. Guy Gardner seems particularly orny and sarca- ornery and sarcastic, but he gets scolded by Wonder Woman. Yeah, Guy goes, what a bunch of dweebs. Bet every one of them asks for something. Of course, my fans know that I got more important things to do than help them change a light bulb. Man, now we'll never know how many Guy Gardners it takes to screw in a light bulb. Dang it. <laughs> now, after Diana yells at him, Guy digs in and grabs a letter. It's from a terminally ill older woman who's estranged from her son. He figures he'll follow up on this one and hopefully find some heads to bust along the way. Uh, Flash and Wonder Woman then dig in and find a letter from, hey, would you look at that, hey. Mrs. Mitch. Well, I'll be. <laughs> well, well, it's actually they're Mrs. Anderson, Ms. Mitch's mom, but I like calling her Mrs. Mitch anyway. Uh, now, this letter is special because it's uh, it's not asking for anything. It's primarily a thank you for saving her family from doomsday. Yeah, he, he sort of gave her everything he had anyway, huh? You, know, you think? <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> now, over in Hobbs Bay, Jimmy, Bibbo, and Mitch share a meal. 
Mitch tells the story of his run-in with Superman and Doomsday and suggests if Superman hadn't taken his eye off the prize, he'd probably still be alive. Bibbo tries to get Mitch to put things into perspective, but the boy ain't having it. He feels guilty for mocking Superman and also feels guilty for glorifying his own father who didn't even care enough to come back when, you know, the family was destroyed. Uh, back at Clark's, the gang discusses how uh, they should approach explaining Clark's disappearance. Lana posits that it might be time for the beans to be spilled. Uh, Ma and Pa give that a big ol' uh-uh. Mm-mm, don't do it. Uh, we rejoin Wonder Woman as she knocks on the door of Mitch's dad's bachelor pad, and he initially thinks he's, she's a singing telegram or something. <laughs> he initially says, yes, I'm your man. What can I... I, 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 Cue uh, <laughs> <laughs> laugh track. Uh, shouldn't take too kindly to that suggestion, though, and fills him in on what happened to the other Andersons. Doesn't Raj own a television set? Hasn't seen right? nobody? All these people need to be filled in on what must be the hugest event, like, since nuclear oh, war this. or something. Yeah. <laughs> Next up is a holiday miracle montage. We have Nightwing and Maxima delivering gifts to a homeless shelter. Guy Gardner forces a mother and child reunion. And Flash and Green Lantern help a team of construction workers rebuild the home of a certain Ohioan family. Back in Metropolis, Mitch and Jimmy pay their respects at the Superman Memorial statue. Mitch is wearing a guns hat, which only makes us wish it read Axl Rose and the Band, which would have been been called back to the last uh, week or last month. In Ohio, Roger Anderson returns with his wife and daughter, hopeful that they can be a family again. He doesn't ask where Mitch is, and who can blame him, really? We don't care. Uh, this issue wraps up with Superman's coffin being stolen by Cadmus. Oh, no. Oh. oh, we move right into Adventures of Superman issue 499, February 1993 cover date. This is Funeral for a Friend, part five, Grave Obsession by Jerry Ordway and Tom Grummet. This has a triangle number of seven for 1993. The cover features the Superman Memorial statue, which is a clear homage to the iconic Jerry Ordway-drawn cover of uh, Adventures of Superman number 424. Mm-hmm. That's January 1987 cover. Uh, this would be released December 29th, 1992 for 125. We start with Lex Luthor being awakened by an alarm indicating that one of his surveillance cameras has been disabled. It's, uh, it's the one at Superman's tomb. Duh. Yeah. yeah. Now, rather than think anyone stole the body, Supergirl's first instinct is to question whether or not Superman might have returned from the dead, which gives Lex a bit of a pause. Uh, Supergirl heads off to check things out. Her arrival is caught by a skeevy-looking fella on a park bench. He pulls out his cell phone, which was a little looked a little out of place for this kind of fella. Hey, Zach, he... <laughs> Zach, Zach Morris had one right around the same time. It this could, is true. It could have happened, yeah. It could have, it could have. Now, uh, he calls in that he just saw something super strong by the ventilator shaft by the Superman Memorial. Supergirl enters the shaft and weaves her way into Superman's resting place. There's a giant hole in the wall, and hey, Superman's coffin is also missing. <gasps> Uh, outside, Jose Delgado pays his respects. He feels guilty that he was sitting on his butt while Superman was dying. But to be fair, last time he was out in costume, rendered him crippled for a time. He's not great yeah. at this gangbuster stuff. <laughs> no, he's not. Uh, Inspector Henderson approaches and suggests the inclement weather might be hell on Jose's back, which gets him a sock right in the mush. And also brings out that skeevy bark bench dweller from a few pa- from a few pages ago. And hey. He's actually an undercover cop, so everything's cleared up pretty quickly. Good. Oof. Yeah. Uh, at Lois's <laughs> place, the Kents are getting ready for bed, but can hear Lois crying in the living room. Elsewhere, Lex Luthor throws a glass of wine at a woman, and Supergirl calls in to report what she hasn't found. 
Mm -hmm. Now, outside, Dan Turpin arrives and meets up with Inspector Henderson and the undercover guy. Turpin decides to head inside to follow up on the super strong thing the undercover fella saw. Across town, Bibbo busts some skulls. Unfortunately for him, the bad dudes he's chosen to beat up have some armed backup. Ah, but unfortunately for them, Gangbusters back in action. Well, unfortunately for Gangbuster, he's still Jose Delgado and gets hit by a car three panels into his return. (laughs) (laughs) It all works out in the end, though. Um, Now, back in the tunnels, we rejoin Supergirl as she has a run-in with... The Underworlders. Again? Come on now. I think we're going to see a lot of these guys. I think you're right. Uh, Luckily, Dan Turpin is hot on her heels and proceeds to empty his gun into the fray. Uh, (laughs) The Underworlders, including the rock-looking one that Lois hurt her foot kicking last week, uh, quickly overpower Turpin and Supergirl, until the terrible one notices that one of the Underworlders is wearing a pair of grenades on his belt. So a pin-pull and he will go. Supergirl swoops in to grab Dan before the big boom, and it only costs him his dungarees, because that same underworlder dropped a grenade in his pants, which sounds a bit like a euphemism, but we promise you it's not. It's actually uh, yeah. Yes. Now, the issue ends with the body of Superman being laid out on a Cadmus operating table. Uh-oh. What will happen next? Will we ever see Superman again? Well, folks, since we are uh, you know, reading this 25 years later, and... There are Superman comics now. You can rest assured something did happen, but uh, we'll get into the next issue and, and find out what happened to Superman when he uh, was uh, captured by Cadmus and uh, all the rest of it and actually get through this whole, uh, you know, our many stages of grief right after this quick break. In the 1990s, there are few real-life heroes. A lot of times in movies and TV, we tend to focus on heroes like Rocky or Indiana Jones. In an upcoming issue of a comic book, one great hero, Superman, will be killed off. This has a special connection to people in the greater Cleveland area. The creator of Superman was from Cleveland. We're here at the 1992 Mid-Ohio Con Comic Book Convention to talk to some artists and industry insiders to get their opinions. Price, coordinator for Mid-Ohio Con, told us about his involvement with the convention, as well as his views on Superman. Well, I think, you know, just the announcement of the fact that Superman's dying, it's, it's a tragedy, it's, it's a loss. And uh, I, I think uh, we're talking about, you know, an American legend here, uh, a legend that's known all the world over, and it's a very sad situation. I think we're all sorry to see the Man of Steel pass away. Tell us all about uh, what's going on today. 
Well, this is the 13th annual Mid-Ohio Con. It is the, the largest comic book uh, collector show in the state of Ohio. We have uh, currently over 40 uh, celebrity guests joining us, artists, writers, uh, publishers, editors. Uh, we have a, a huge dealers area here. Over 50 of the leading retailers, nostalgia retailers from around the United States are set up with us. And there's just lots of fun things going on, including a big uh, auction of original art and other collectibles to benefit Ronald McDonald Children's Charities. Roger Stern, a writer for the Superman comic book, told us how the storyline of Superman's death got started. The main reason that Superman is dying is that in our story conferences, we came up with a story that was too powerful not to do. Uh, Dan Jurgens originally came up with the idea of doing a Death of Superman story, and he also wanted to do a, a new major physical threat for Superman to fight. That threat became Doomsday, and it became part of the Death of Superman story. Now, it was it was purely a, a creative uh, a creative uh, concept. It wasn't you know marketing didn't come to us and say we'll sell a million copies if we kill him off, you know, and then just bring him back the next week. We're not going to do that. You know, we, we, you know, the creative people came up with this. That's the, been the, the, the strength, I think, of the Superman titles since uh, John Byrne re relaunched them in 86, is that they've been creator-driven. You know, the writers and the artists getting together with the editor and coming up with strong, powerful stories. And that's been our strength. John Byrne, who has worked on Superman before, has a different opinion. Well, are they killing off the character? I killed him once. Uh, I just happened to bring him back to life in the same issue. Um, it's, it's, it's just to sell comic books. I mean, I, I can't believe fans are, are even noticing it. I mean, how many, how many times has Spider-Man died? How many times has, has everybody died? It's just a ploy to sell comics. We have a saying in comics, nobody dies forever. You know, nobody, stay, nobody stays dead. And Superman is the second most successfully merchandised character in the world, right after Mickey Mouse. He's not going to stay dead. Jim Shooter, former editor-in-chief of Marvel Comics and creator of Valiant Comics, told us his history with character death in comic books. Well, the, the death of Phoenix uh, came about uh, because of uh, a story uh, point, actually. We, we started off to have her become a, a supervillain, which had never been done before. A hero becomes a bad guy. I mean, I felt that if it evoked such passions with the people in the office, imagine how the, the readers would feel about it, how they would react to it. And sure enough, they did. I mean, it has become one of the seminal events in, in modern comics. And, uh, okay, it doesn't get the, 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 the media play that the death of Superman does, because, let's face it, Superman's been around for, what, since 38? You know, and it's in the dictionary. I mean, it's, 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 it's Americana, uh, where Phoenix was known to comic book readers, but not so much to the general populace. So uh, it didn't have exactly the same uh, uh, mass media uh, coverage. But I think among comic readers, it was really kind of, uh, as I said, a, a huge event, and, and really, I guess, in a way, opened up the possibility for, for big, traumatic things like to happen to characters. Uh, James Miller, a comic book vendor, thinks this particular storyline is just a flash in the pan. It's um, benefited me financially and um, really sparked a lot of interest in the character. They're following this up with an eight-part funeral for a friend story dealing with uh, the aftermath and people adjusting to the death of Superman. And then word is, uh, or rumor has it, that uh, he'll be back in some form or fashion come March. Um, if they do it and they're able to maintain some dignity and the interest is uh, generated and carries on through with 
what they do with the, the books and the character after that, I think it'll be worth it. If it's just a cheap gimmick to sell a lot of comics, it saddens me. Don Thompson, editor of Comics Buyer's Guide, a trade magazine, gives his thoughts on how the Superman storyline will affect the industry. Well, it's kicked the sales up to about two and a half million uh, copies from about a tenth of that. That's not too bad. Uh, that It's bringing a lot of people into comic stores and it's getting a lot of kids who never tried Superman to try them. I think all these things are great. And uh, do you think they'll bring Superman back like they have with other characters? Well, let's put it this way. He's worth, conservative estimate, half a billion dollars in licensing and other fees. Would you throw him away? Probably not, I don't think. And lastly, this Superman fan told us his feelings about the death of Superman. Being a fan, I'm sad to see it happen. Um, I've been a big Superman fan and a fan of comics since I was very little. And it just seems like a really sad commercial ploy to me. Um, I've collected comics and looked at them since I was little. I learned to draw from them. And uh, to me, the character is something more than just a nine to five job. You know, I, I would say to the creators, I've enjoyed your stories. Uh, I've been there. I've watched it grow. You've done some great stuff. I just don't know if this is the option for slumping sales. So just what will happen to Superman? If enough fans complain, he might make another appearance, much like Bobby Ewing on Dallas, with this entire storyline being only a dream. Only time will tell. And hopefully Superman will come back, in whatever shape and form. But as we say in TV, all good things must come to an end. For Cablevision Spotlight, I'm Mark Smiler. Hey everybody, welcome back. We're going to go through the end of the Funeral of a Friend series right here and find out what happened to Superman on that operating table from before the break. Starting with Action Comics number 686, Funeral for a Friend Part 6, Who's Buried in Superman's Tomb by Roger Stern and Jackson Geis. Triangle numbering is number 8 out of uh, in 1993. Logo again is Supergirl in Action Comics. Cover features Supergirl standing in a doorway, presumably at the Superman Memorial statue. It was released January 5th, 1993 for a dollar and a quarter. Uh, and it starts with the Guardian chasing down a van full of gun-wielding bums. He's making some very Kirby-esque faces while he's at it. Also. Yeah. <laughs> uh, which is, you know, I guess that's, that's the origin. One of them, clearly not the smartest of the bunch, leaps from the van onto Guardian's motorbike, which goes... Just about as well as you might expect, which is to say, not very well at all mm. for him. While Guardian turns the geeks over to the police, he receives an urgent telekinetic call from Double X, and he's needed back at Cadmus. As he drives away, he speeds past Lex Luthor's limo. Inside, Lex is chatting with his assistant, Dr. Sidney Happerson, about the possibility that Superman might just be back from the dead. After all, Lex faked his own death not too long ago. Yeah, we've been dancing around this all, but he died back in Action Comics number 660 in December 1990, cover date, in an experimental plane crash into the Andes. This is after he received word that he was terminally ill due to a kryptonite ring that he liked to wear on his finger, and he had, like, finger cancer. Uh, <laughs> turns out they were able to save Luther's brain and plop it into the head of an Aussie clone, and that's who we are dealing with here. 
Yes. Now his guardian returns to the project, where he's greeted by some of the former, some of his former newsboy pals turned Cadmus staffers. Uh, Lex and Supergirl meet up with Turpin and the MCU in Centennial Park. The Metropolis police are almost certain that the Underworlders, though annoying, aren't responsible for the grave robbery. Well, we already know that to yeah, be the case. Uh, and uh, further proof comes on the very next page, where Guardian finds Superman laid out on that Cadmus operating table. I don't even know if we need to say this, but he's not very pleased. No. Uh, now, Guardian slams Westfield up against the wall, but he's talked off the ledge by Double X. It's here we learn that Cadmus has designs on cloning Superman. Don't worry, this probably won't lead to anything. No, it's not going to be a big thing at all. So, no, uh, all. <laughs> in the tunnels, Supergirl is leading Luther and the police. They happen across an unexploded charge with the Cadmus logo on it, and uh, it was unexploded, but now, boom. Uh, back at Lois's place, she's watching the news. The newscaster lists the names of some notable citizens still missing since the Doomsday Massacre, including Baseball Hall of Famer Hank the Hammer Halloran, comedian Morty Beckman, <laughs> and Daily Planet <laughs> reporter Clark Kent. The Kents overhear Lois talking back to the screen. Ma seems concerned, however, but they've got a plane to catch. Underground, Supergirl digs the crew out from the rubble and flooding. When they emerge back into Centennial Park, they find news of Superman's potential resurrection has spread. A group of people Superman's, uh, wearing Superman Snuggies are there to pay their respects. And this is the Superman cult who first appeared back in the Action Comics weekly days. And they're really happy that their man appears to have risen. One of them goes, And I say to you, sisters and brothers, do not despair. Be not afraid. In our hour of greatest need, Superman shall return to us from beyond the grave. Yes! He will return and save us all! Say the name! Say the name and be free! Superman! 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 Yeah, you get the idea. Yeah. Uh, the issue wraps up at the airport with the Kents heading back to Smallville. Mm-hmm. Now, Superman the Man of Steel, issue 21, March 1993, cover date. This is uh, Funeral for a Friend, part 7, Ghosts, by Louise Simonson and John Bogdanoff. Has a triangle number of 9 for 1993. The cover features Jonathan Kent face down in a field. Martha Kent is running towards him. Uh, this was released January 12th, 1993, for a uh, Lois Lane, uh, we start off where, with uh, Lois delivering a news report while standing on a bridge. Behind her, Superman is caught in a whirlpool, and he's calling out for her. She doesn't immediately react, and by the time she does, it's too late. Then she wakes up. Mm. But she can still hear roaring waters. Say what? Turns out mm. Metropolis is flooding thanks to that Cadmus charge that exploded in the last issue. And the underworld is in shambles, or like more shambly than usual. Kind of always yeah. looks like a bunch of junk, really. Uh, one of them proclaims the underworld is to be history. Oh, tell you what, fingers crossed. Oh, poor underworlders. Uh, <laughs> the Kents arrive back to the farm, and Pa heads out to the barn to tend to some chores. While there, he has a touching flashback into a chat he'd had with Clark when he was a boy. Back at Cadmus, the newsboys rush into the room where Superman is being swabbed and whatnot to report that the tunnels are flooding. Speaking of which, Lois takes a cab to follow up on the flood story. Her hair looks kind of weirdly blonde in this scene. Yeah. I uh, don't know what that's about, but 
Uh, also, her cab driver appears to be Arsenio Hall. Like, ooh, 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 ooh. definitely is Arsenio Hall, gums and all, but uh, whatever. Back in Smallville, Ma makes Pa some oatmeal, which leads to another flashback, uh, an oatmeal-based flashback. Yes. Underground, a pair of underworlders, including the hippy-dippy one from last time, enter the mouth of a giant frog and discover that Cadmus was behind the boom. That flooded the underworld. We rejoin Lois as she's trying to get the scoop of the flooding and overhears that there was an explosion under the Superman monument in Centennial Park. We shift scenes over to the Batcave where Batman considers getting rid of his kryptonite ring. Which is a stupid idea, but uh, Superman gave him this ring back in Action Comics issue 654 back in June of 1990. Uh, This was the concluding chapter of Dark Knight over Metropolis. He handed it to him as a symbol of trust, and so Batman could use it on him should he ever be needed to to stop him. Yeah, a nice friendly uh, gesture. I also just realized that this made he and Lex uh, ring buddies, didn't it? They were like part of a secret ring. uh, Yeah, they were ring twins. (laughs) Ring twins. uh, (laughs) Kryptonite twins activated. Uh, Batman decides against dumping the ring after all. Which is probably wise. Uh, Now Lois heads to Centennial Park to follow up on the explosion and finds Mackie Sawyer standing guard, though I swear I thought it was Guy Gardner at first. Yeah, from a distance it looked like that. Yeah. Uh, Now she shoos Lois away, and as she leaves, she's approached by a giant frog. The story took a turn, I'll tell you what. Yes. (laughs) It's it's her hippy-dippy underworld correspondent. He pops out out and presents her with the Cadmus charge. And that's proof enough that Cadmus was behind the explosions, and uh, very likely behind the body snatching as well. Uh, Now, back in Smallville, Pa has another flashback, this time to a conversation he actually had with Clark during the Man of Steel number one back in October 1986. Uh, Now, we return to Metropolis to find, (laughs) wow, Lois dressed like a frogman here. She's she's in this weird scuba gear out of nowhere. Uh, Now, she enters the giant frog and takes part of an underworld assault on Cadmus. Hell, by the time they get to dry land, she's actually leading the charge. Uh, she comes across Superman's body, but is stopped by a doctor who looks a lot like Tiny Lister <laughs> from No Holds Barred. Yep. It turns out this guy's just as talented a grappler as old Zeus. Uh, Lois takes him down pretty quickly. And then the newsboys, who have joined up with Lois and the gang, warn that Double X and Guardian are on their way. So Hippy Dippy snaps a few pics of the body before they beat a hasty retreat. Lois returns to the planet with the write a scathing article, which she may or may not publish. Hmm. Now we wrap up this issue back in Smallville, where Pa just saw the latest Smallville star headline that reads, Tomb Empty, Superman's Body Believed Stolen. At that point, he passes out in Martha's arms. Hmm. And we're going to wrap it up with Superman, Volume 2, Number 77, March 1993, cover date. Funeral for a Friend, Part 8, The End, by Jan Jurgens. Triangle Numbering was Number 10 for 1993. Cover features Superman flying toward the light. The words, the end, are at the bottom. Released January 19th, 1993 for $1.25. Super sexy Lex Luthor does some kung fu fighting with his trainer. Even clones gotta stay in shape. His training session is interrupted by the arrival of Lois Lane, who might be wearing one of Clark's suits in this scene. Looks something, like it. Something a little misshapen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was the 90s. Anyway, she's come to personally <laughs> deliver her unpublished news article that Cadmus swiped Superman's body, being as though he's the only guy in Metropolis with the clout to take them down. Back in Smallville, Jonathan Kent has rushed the emergency room. Where, while he lay in bed, his life begins flashing before his eyes. 
In Metropolis, Jimmy Olsen is approached by a Mr. Thornton, who wants to use one of his photos for the cover of the next issue of News Time, and he wants Jimmy to pick which one they use. So he chooses the shot of Superman's tattered cape. Now, this commemorative edition of News Time, The Life and Death of the Man of Steel, would actually be published by DC Comics with that very same tattered cape cover. This was in March 1993. They released it for $2.95. It was like four pages, right? It's, it was like a, <laughs> I don't remember. <laughs> I, I, I do remember. I remember thinking it was cool that it existed, but it wasn't, mm. it wasn't exactly a full magazine with ads and stuff, but uh, you know, it was all right. Now, we, uh, we hop to a locker room where Lex's kung fu trainer, Sasha, gets attacked by an unseen attacker. Hmm. Now, Lois uh, daydreams about Superman returning to her while Supergirl flies her to the snowy clearing that once housed Habitat, which, if you remember, was destroyed in the Doomsday Fracas. Yeah. Uh, once Supergirl leaves, Lois finds herself surrounded by the Outsiders. No, not those outsiders, and uh, not even the ones from First Issue Special. Not even the one from the S.E. Hinton book? Uh, <laughs> nope, this is the motorcycle gang that Jimmy Olsen ran during the opening arc of the Jack Kirby run on Jimmy Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. Yes, uh, we have a, a fellow named Yango who goes, This area is wild. This area is deadly. To risk dealing with us, your reasons for being here had better be good. Lois says, I thought the habitat area was peaceful. You guys don't look the part. We're outsiders, and you... Look, I'm just passing through my on my way to Cadmus. I have to get inside their installation. You're a saboteur? No. They have Superman's body, and I've come to take it back. And then someone named Voodoo goes, As you should, take my bike and ride with Yango. <laughs> so, they <laughs> ride into Cadmus, however... Upon arrival, they see that they've been beaten to the chase by Supergirl. Mm-hmm. Back in Smallville, Jonathan Kent fights for his life. That evening in Metropolis, Superman's bodies return to Centennial Park. Lois says one last farewell. Before leaving, Lex asks for a moment alone with the body, because he, uh, he wants to pray. Wink, wink. Really, he just wants to wait for everyone to leave, so he can ominously grin and say, Gotcha. Yeah, he says, So, I win. I knew I'd bury you one day, you sanctimonious, self-righteous pain. I owned this town until you came along. There wasn't a man on earth who could stop me from doing whatever I pleased. And if anyone dared interfere, they were given a one-way ticket to hell. He then reveals that it was he who killed Sasha in the locker room, just to prove that he could. Wow. Okay. Uh, he's, he's, he's actually going to go even further. He's going to pin the deed on an ex-con LexCorp janitor, because why the hell not? Why not? To show what a jerk he can be. Yes. Back in Smallville, they're pounding on Pa's chest. From one eye, he sees his wife Martha holding out her hand, and from the other, Superman. He reaches out and takes Superman's hand and flatlines. The and end. that story will continue, right, as we go into the mm -hmm. next part. That's one of the, you know, one of my, I remember that whole journey of Jonathan Kent uh, yep. really well. And Adventures 500, yep. Uh, but, you know, this, this was a monumental series for sure. Uh, you know, everyone remembers, thinks about Superman 75. Obviously, that was the big one and the, the money one. But yeah. this, this story teased out uh, I, I, all the stuff, the Cadmus stuff. You know, you know, I love the Newsboy Legion. Sure. The Goofy, the Underworld. They're like they're just like <laughs> they're just embracing all of these the goofier things uh, of Superman. A lot of are, Bronze Age goof. Yeah. yeah, like stuff stuff that had kind of been shoved aside to some mm -hmm. extent uh, after Crisis. And uh, yeah, I think it's 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 
enjoyable for a funeral. Sure, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great story. It's this is kind of where you know we were both there at the time, but it, this seemed to be where maybe like two or three issues into this, a lot of the excitement was kind of gone. Yeah, it was bit. a pretty rapid decline on the uh, on how how really you know rabid we were for this story. It uh, it was almost tangible. You'd see the piles getting thicker and thicker on the shelf every single week. For sure, uh, yeah. People did kind of check out a little bit on this. Obviously, collectors had to have all of them, multiple but, copies. Yes, but uh, <laughs> yeah, they they it didn't. But you know, also this is when. Literally, the you know the whole bubble has popped now, and things are starting yeah. to deflate rapidly. So it's interesting what comes next. And the next part was a little, as I remember, more popular because that sort of deals with potential resurrections. But without giving anything away, we're going to talk about some other famous comic book funerals. And we got to start with uh, one of the fam- most famous dying person in comics. That's uh, Jean Grey. We're going to talk about Uncanny X-Men issue 138 from October 1980. It was actually still X-Men at the time. It did say Uncanny on the cover, but it wasn't officially changed yet. Huh. This is a story called Elegy by, uh, or is that how you say that? Elegy? Elegy. Elegy. <laughs> Elegy. Elegy. <laughs> by Chris Claremont and John Byrne. Now, during the Doc Phoenix saga, Phoenix sacrifices herself, lest she be fully controlled by her darker self's hunger. During her funeral, Scott Summers thinks back on the times they shared together. He offers his condolences to Jean's parents, then quits the X-Men, hopeful that one day he'll find another woman who looks exactly like Jean. And he does, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> then, uh, in Identity Crisis number one, August 2004 cover date, uh, that was by Brad Meltzer and Rags Morales, Sue Dibney dies. She's the wife of Ralph Dibney, the elongated man. And uh, she's seemingly, in this issue, murdered by Dr. Light. And then it's a quickie funeral by the end of the issue that depicts a famously tortured Ralph Dibney. Oh, it's horrible, it's yeah. Because like, he's all elongated he's and melted, stretchy yeah. and oh. melting. Uh, but for some reason, the autopsy that reveals Sue's real murderer happens after she's buried. Uh, mm. Which seems a little like a backwards, but uh, I guess when you got that Justice League, though, you're exhuming a body. It's no big deal. You just put that on the petty cash and no, no thing. And and to and to you know show that we're in the uh, post two thousands here, they had to reveal that, of course, she was pregnant at the time of her murder. Of so. course, of course. <laughs> we gotta we gotta get that in there. <laughs> uh, we've got the Martian Manhunters funeral, Final Crisis Requiem number one, the September two thousand eight cover date by Peter J. Tomasi and, T- and Doug Monkey. Uh, John was killed by Libra and the Secret Society. In his final moments, John telepathically imprinted the history of Mars and the Martians onto his closest friends. Uh, Somewhat famously, during the funeral and during Superman's eulogy, rather than do the whole ashes-to-ashes bit, he prays for a speedy resurrection, which tells me that they're starting to get it. Yeah, they're starting to figure it out. Uh, In V for Vendetta number 10, that was a May 1989 cover date. That was by DC Comics. Uh, part it's called Part Eleven Valhalla by Alan Moore and David Lloyd is Part Eleven of the book three. I think so. Yeah, just Something get, just get the, the graphic straight. novel. It's it really gets you know. Uh, it's like each issue is three parts from the Warrior anthology, so it's it's well, but, weird. Yeah. By this point, they were actually printing stuff that had never been printed in Warrior because Warrior. Yes, yeah, Warrior gone. So yeah. this is this is the first time that we've saw these funeral. Um, but it, it's it's complex, just like I say. Get the graphic novel. Get the trace. Yeah. You'll be all right. But uh, <laughs> in this one, basically, V is dead, so Evie burns him. That's basically yeah, nice what happens. Nice Viking funeral, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, in Fallen Sun, the death of Captain America number five. Guess who died? It was Captain America. That was August uh, 2007. He's actually already dead. By Jeff Loeb and John Cassidy. So uh, after he's killed during the events of Civil War, Captain America is buried at Arlington Cemetery at the end of this is the last of a special miniseries dealing with the fallout from his death. Yeah, gotta wonder what the holdup was back in the identity crisis. They buried Sue like ten minutes later. I know. It's like you know, this this was more of those long like Catholic wakes, right? It went on forever. It's just <laughs> he, he lays in he lays in repose in the living room for a week. It's for a week, you know. <laughs> we also have uh, Batman Dark Knight Returns number four. This is June nineteen eighty six by Frank Miller. Batman has a heart attack while battling Superman and apparently dies. Alfred attempts to burn down Wayne Manor and the Batcave to protect Bruce's secret, but has a stroke and dies himself. During Bruce's funeral, Clark Kent pays his respects. It turns out that Batman staged his death by suspending his vital signs. Clark hears Bruce's ticker start to tick again and winks at Robin. Yeah, this is one of the most famous exchanges in comics, I think, where you yeah. see Superman. It's kind of the beat-up face, too. He has, like, a bruise on yeah. his lip, and he gives a wink, and Carrie looks like... She's just the cat that swallowed the canary or whatever, but anyway. <laughs> uh, in Green Lantern, Volume 3, Number 81, December 1986, by Ron Mars and Daryl Banks, it was Hal Jordan that had mm-hmm. to be laid to rest. After sacrificing himself to reignite the sun at the end of the final night, Hal Jordan's friends, enemies, and associates all convene at a construct cathedral to pay their respects. We discussed this in sort of longer form in our, during our coverage of the final night. Uh, this is episode number 59 in the archives. Mm-hmm. In Tales of the Teen Titans Annual Number 3, it's Terra's Funeral. This is uh, July 1984 by Marv Wolfman and George Perez. This is at the very end of the Judas Contract. Titans turned quote, Terra is buried by rubble. Her funeral is a small gathering of Titans and Outsiders. Uh, Brian Markov, Geoforce of the Outsiders, was actually Terra's brother. Uh, the Titans choose against revealing that she was really one of the bad guys. Yeah, they, you know, figure, what's, what, what could have that do? Right. Uh, now, for our full discussion on the Judas Contract and uh, some other Titans fun, check out episode 25 in the archives. Yeah, it's a very Titans full episode, it says. <laughs> it is. Uh, yeah, you know, going back to that, too, this is kind of the one time there's a funeral that I, I, I felt a conflict about because I wasn't, as I remember, it was a, it was Garfield. It was a Changeling that couldn't get over Terra, but the rest of, you know, yeah. me, I was like, you know, forget her. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> she almost killed everybody. Anyway, uh, and then they're talking about the other time Superman had a funeral. This is Action Comics number 365, July 1968, by Leo Dorfman and Ross Andrew. Superman remembers the events of his life as his coffin draws nearer to the star Flambron. It's going to be, uh, you know, burned, I guess. When he passes the bizarro world, the inhabitants fling red and white kryptonite at him in mourning. And just before the space casket comes within range of the star, he gets a glimpse of Supergirl, Lois Lane, Lana Lang, and Lori Lamaris, whom Supergirl has brought there in a special space capsule for one last look at Superman. And then they turn back and his coffin is engulfed by Flambron's flames, but as we actually talked about last week, in the, re- in the rest of that story, it gets crazier because the white kryptonite <laughs> cures his virus. He goes back to Earth. He finds out that everything's cool. And he's like, all right. Anyway, it's, it's very weird. It Silver is. Age fun. So that is it, folks. That is uh, the entire Funeral for a Friend series plus the Justice League opener, whatever you want to call bridge. that. The bridge, yeah. Yeah, the bridge, exactly. Uh, plus a little bit extra. But if you have... Any other instances of superhero or comic book funerals you want to talk about, or if you want to send some uh, condolences for Superman, <laughs> you can write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. 
Find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic T-mail history. You can uh, find us on Twitter at cosmic T-mail, and I'm on Twitter at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. See our weekly writings over at weirdsciencedccomics.com and see Chris's daily writings at chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. And you have definitely been pulling out some Bronze Age goodies yes, so lately, boy. Kind of hooked, yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, I see, I see those uh, covers with dialogue balloons on them. I am all in. I just can't wait to find Absolutely. out what's going on in there. <laughs> so it's spectacular. It's uh, every single day you do a new DC comic or an ADC comic that is never yeah. new, actually. Uh, <laughs> I think when you go back maybe a couple of months sometimes, right? That'll be your sure. most recent one. And, yeah, I uh, try to keep them a little older. Great, great commentary. Uh, a lot of pictures throughout. If you want to, you can pretty much almost read along the well, most of the comic. Plus yep. ads at the end. You, you know, if you're not going to check that out on a regular basis, folks, you're missing out. That's Chris is on InfiniteEarths.com. Thank you. Give it a look. Uh, we all, we also have our shared uh, our shared whatever we're calling it. This is WeirdComicsHistory.blogspot.com where. Uh, you know, we post our show notes. Uh, I've been I've been putting like videos in, like where whenever we cite a video or something. Right. So uh, if folks want to check out what we're referencing, it's it's all right there. All right, that's useful. Maybe I can even do that myself sometime. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. You got anything else for him? No, we're we're saving our uh, we're saving our thoughts for for the end, which is either. Two weeks from now, I think. Yeah, it looks like this is going to go to f- at least four episodes, but it's going to yeah. be great. The next, the next part of this, which I, I know a lot of you know, is uh, Return of the Superman. Uh, is you know one of my most memorable, most favorite parts of it. That's what it's called, right? Am I am I right? Reign of the Superman. Reign of the Superman. Sorry, yeah, yes. I was uh, thinking of that old uh, first Superman, right? The uh, that story by Siegel, right? What they call yes. It? Anyway, Return to Superman. Anyway, uh, blah, blah, blah. So uh, <laughs> that's that's the part that I found most memorable. Although actually going through this, it's, you know, I always say this is when I walked away from comics, but I clearly stuck around for a lot of this. I was really a lot of it's in, A lot of it's sticking out to you, huh? It is, definitely. I was really yep. interested in what was going on with Superman because like we said before, I thought this could be permanent. Uh, sure. You know, there was definitely a part of me you know, I you know we were teenagers, so we weren't like brand new to the world. There was a part of me that was like, no, they wouldn't. Mm. You know, there's going to be something. But as it was to take away an iconic character like that, that's like you know, taking Jesus out of the Bible, right, or something like that. And actually, and actually, halting publication for several months, exactly. which we'll get we'll get deeper into next week. Yeah, we'll 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 talk more about that. So, uh, but anyway, that's for next week. If that's all you got for him, Chris, then I think I'm going to tell everyone to keep it on the treadmill morbidly. When it's my time I know you'll tailor a new suit for me And buy a new tie So I look this good Boy, you were right You said only the good ones die young Never in my life Did I look this good Everyone welcome 